through a series in the book of Romans, uh, St. Paul's epistle to the church in Rome, uh, written about 57 A.D., 57 A.D., 57 Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. Can you imagine? Today it's 2023 that he wrote this letter uh, close to 2,000 years ago. And we still have it today. The word of God. May God bless his word. Whose word? God's word. My word? No. God's word. This book is about God. Who God is and what he has done for you and for me. He gave us physical life. And he gave us life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who saved us by his death on the cross and his mighty resurrection from the dead in three days. We serve a risen Savior today. The only man that by the power of God reversed the second law of thermodynamics and physics by getting up from the grave in three days through the power of the Holy Spirit and scaring the tar out of everybody. No other man has risen from the grave. It's a biological and historical miracle. Attested by witnesses who saw him. Over 500 in different places at different times for 40 days. The risen Christ appeared with scars in his hands. With a swollen face that was bruised and battered. With a scar in his side. And ate with them and walked with them. The risen Lord. We serve a risen Savior. Being a Christian is not just a routine and a habit. It's a living lifestyle generated by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and in my heart, blessing us to live a life that is pleasing to God. So we're thankful for what God has done in Jesus. And the book of Romans is a book about God. Number one, it's the book about God. I told you it's a window into the entire Bible where the Apostle Paul explains the purposes of God in human history. And so we come, I told you uh, last week, I'm not supposed to be preaching today, but Pastor Joe has, his family has COVID. Well, you know, we all say, oh, yeah, it's right, or COVID's not fun. But nowadays, if you have a cold, guess what it is? It's COVID. And so the whole family has it. And he said, Pastor, could you take my place, uh, dedicate the baby, and then speak uh, in my place? And I said, you bet. I love to preach the word of God. All right? I love, this is my craft. And I thank God for the opportunity to preach to the best church in town. A church that loves God's word. The biggest little church in America. And so uh, it's my pleasure then to try uh, to explain uh, St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, first of all, chapter 13 of Romans. And I'm going to go through uh, the book of Romans, uh, chapter 13 one uh, through 21 in an expository fashion, which means I will try to expose or reveal the meaning of St. Paul verse by verse. I'll try to do that um, in uh, as brief a fashion as possible. 
um, to get an understanding of the word of God as St. Paul writes it. Uh, to do that, uh, let me first give a little bit of background on what St. Paul is saying here. If you look at chapter 13, let's just go through verses 1 through 7. Um, some of you teenagers, will you hang with me, okay? Hang in there. Don't get bored, all right, uh, while I'm talking, okay? It's like you're in uh, history class, but you're listening to the Word of God, all right? Can you do that for me? I knew you stayed up all night last night looking at your electronics and all that, so now you're going to be awake. But anyway, um, here's the Word of God. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 13, uh, let every soul, the word there, suche in Greek, which means let every person, let every person be subject unto the higher powers. The word subject there in Greek is hupotasiste, hupotasiste. Everybody try this Greek word, hupotasiste, which literally means be obedient, be under authority. And he says, let every person be under authority to the higher powers. When he says higher powers right there, he means the, uh, the state authority. He means the government. This doesn't necessarily mean angels and uh, other celestial powers. Uh, when he says the higher powers, he's talking about, at that time, the Roman government. Can you believe it? The Roman government. Um, this is a hard word right here for the Jews of that time that hated Rome, that hated the Roman emperor, that hated everything about the imperial authority and wanted to cast off the Roman yoke at the time under the Caesars because of the oppression under the Roman government. The Jews felt that God was their king and no one else should be their king, including Caesar. So during this time, Palestine was under a revolution, a rebellion by Jews called the Zealots or Sicarii, daylight assassins who would kill the Roman soldiers in open daylight through guerrilla warfare. At that time, there was a revolution in Palestine and the Roman uh, government had a hard time quelling and bringing that revolution under control. It was the most difficult province of all the provinces from London to Gaul to France to Germany, uh, from Afghanistan and India uh, to Persia and Egypt, the most difficult province for the Roman imperial authority to bring under authority. And so you see that's the background right now for what Paul says to the church at Rome that he's writing to, be in subjection to the authorities. And so you're wondering, what, why would Paul, a Jew, say to obey a government that is so oppressive? Why would Paul say that? And, and that's a very good question, isn't it? Because uh, of this other issue that Paul is saying to them to be in subjection to a power that they hate. For then Paul explains this, why they should be obedient. For there is no power, listen to this, for there is no power, but what? Can you put the scripture on the, on the screen, please? Thank you, mijo. For there is no power, but of what? But of God. Is everybody paying attention? 
So there is no power but of God. So who appoints this government? Who authorizes every prince and every nation? Who is the creator of government? I wonder why. Because it's better to have some order than no order. It's better to have some government than no government. Because if you had no government, it would be pure anarchy and everybody would do whatever they pleased. That would be chaos and a terrible mess if everybody did what they wanted to do. Imagine this, that everybody goes to school when you want to go to school and when you don't want to go to school, you don't go to school. And then all of a sudden you're in trouble with your higher authority. And who is that? Your mom and dad. You know, you're, you know, your mom and so you don't go to school, I'll turn your pants into shorts. Your drawer, your room is mine. Well, I'm going to slam the door and you can't come in and I'll take the door off. I'm just playing. But everybody has a higher authority. In this case, it's the government. And the Apostle Paul is telling these people be uh, under subjection. The powers that be are ordained of God. So who put that Roman government in place? God did. So who's a higher authority, the government or God? God is our higher authority, right? Democrats, the Republicans, the Independents, Washington, D.C. Is that our higher authority? No. Who's our higher authority? But has God put the government there? Yes, he has. So he put it there for a purpose. Let's find out. Whoever, therefore, resists the power or is in rebellion to the government, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. Okay? So in other words, Paul is saying that rebellion to the government is not good. Do you think that the Jews would like to hear that in Jerusalem? No, because they hate the Roman government. And so Paul is writing not just to Jews, but to the church at Rome that's made up of Christian Jews and Roman Gentiles and Greek Gentiles together in one church. So Paul is writing, remember, the letter to the Romans from what city? Corinth. He's writing from Corinth. He's writing to the church at Rome. And he's telling the church at Rome that he is coming to Jerusalem first with a big offering for the poor people of Jerusalem that are in a famine. And then from Jerusalem, he's going on to Rome to visit the church at Rome, whom he has never visited before, as we read in chapter 1, verse 11. And so he's right, he's of course sort of triangulating from Corinth to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And he's telling the church at Rome, I'm coming to meet you and visit you for the first time. But first I'm going to the city of Jerusalem with this big offering. Is everybody listening? And I want you to pray for me that when I get to Jerusalem, the people won't put me in jail and kill me but will accept this offering that the Christian Jews and the Gentiles are sending to the Jews at Jerusalem because they're in a famine. And look at verse chapter 15 of the book of Romans. If you turn with me there real quickly. 
chapter 15, verses 30 and 31. Let's turn there very quickly. Are you there with me? It should be on the wall anyway. Thank you, Pastor Manuel. You're a genius back there. All right, and this is what it says. Let's start in 28. What do you say? Shall we start in 28? All right. Now, we're reading now the background to chapter 13, where he says, obey the Roman authorities. Now, who is the emperor at that time was a crazy nut. His name was Nero. Has anybody heard of Nero in history? All right. When Rome burned down, he blamed it on the Christians. And so he gathered the Christians together. And around his garden, he turned the Christians into torches to light up his garden. That's how nuts he was. And he sent the Christians to the Colosseum to be destroyed by beasts because he blamed them for the flames that destroyed the city of Rome. It wasn't true. But he was, during the time that Paul wrote this though, he was more lucid. He was not as nuts. He was only 16 when he became emperor and he was a pretty good kid. But then all of a sudden power went to his head and then he went crazy. One of the worst emperors that Rome has ever had. So Paul is writing Romans during what we call as scholars the Quinquennium Neronis, which means the, day, the five years of peace under Nero. Let's read 28. Is everybody there? Paul's writing goes, When therefore I have performed this, and what is this? It's an offering that he's bringing to the church at Jerusalem to distribute for the poor Jews in Jerusalem, Jews and Christians, that would be valued right now at about a quarter of a million dollars. That he collected from churches at Corinth and churches in Philippi and Galatia. He collected a big giant offering of money to help to pay for wheat and bread and food for the poor people in Jerusalem where he's coming to bring this offering to them. Is that clear so far? All right. When therefore I bring this offering and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you, that means Rome, to Spain. So you see, the Apostle Paul was planning to go to Spain. And I am sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus. Now I ask you, brothers and sisters, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Holy Spirit, that you wrestle with me in your prayers to God for me. So what is he asking for? Come on now, what's he asking for? Pay attention. He's asking for prayer. I wonder why he's asking for prayer. And the word there where he says struggle with me is the Greek word agon idziste. Agon idziste. Do you hear the word agony? Agon? He, he goes agonize with me. In prayer. Pray hard. Vain popping prayers. Pray hard for me. Why does he want this type of prayer? Listen to this. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. In other words, that he might be delivered from the Jews that are not Christians in Judah. In Judea, he's coming to Jerusalem and there's Jews there that hate 
the Apostle Paul's guts. Why? Because he was a Jew once, and then he became a Christian, and to them that means he's a traitor of the Jewish faith. Second, he believes that you should be in subjection to the hated Roman Empire. Third, he's coming with this belief to Jerusalem, and if they catch him, they don't care about the offering. They'll kill him anyway, because they hate him. Second, if the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, under the Bishop James, the brother of the Lord, who is now the leader of the Christian church, Jewish church in Jerusalem, look at this. If he accepts this gift from Paul, it means that he's accepting what Paul believes, which is to be in obedience to the hated Roman Empire. So there's a conflict of interest there. Are you following me so far? All right, so he's bringing this offering, and he's going to cause a problem. If the Jewish Christians accept this offering from this traitor Jew, according to the Jews, it's like saying, we accept your belief to be in subjection to Rome. Hey, Paul, what should we do? Well, look at what happened. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 21. When you have it, say, I'm with you, Pastor. Chapter 21, verses uh, 30 and 31. You're with me? Okay. Bless you, mija. Anybody else with me so far? Are you following this story? All right. This is opening up the Bible for us to understand what is going on here. It's important to understand the background of the Bible in order to understand what the Bible verse is talking about. Now, Who's the main subject of all of this? God. This is a book of God. And Paul is making it clear that every government that is instituted is instituted by God's power. God is the king of the universe. Jesus is the creator of the universe. When we see the galaxies of JWT, this great telescope out there showing us the beautiful color of all these galaxies and constellations and dark holes. Guess who did all that? God. He's amazing. Here we are on this little blue pinprick called planet Earth on the outer recesses of the Milky Way galaxy. We're less than a sand pebble at Redondo Beach and just that God loves us because he created us to enjoy his universe. God is the sovereign, supreme king of the universe. God is the ultimate ruler. God's in charge. It's all about God. So that when Paul is writing, be in subjection to the authorities, the most important authority to be in subjection to is God. Can we hear an amen? He got kind of quiet in here. He says, pastor is starting to scream again. Is Biden God? Is, is uh, Trump God? Is DeSantis God? Who's God? God is God. So that the government stands under God. And when a government starts to behave against God, then we have the right to say, with freedom of speech, we don't like that. And we've given the gift of voting to say, we don't like that. And we've given, been given a mouth to say, we don't like that. 
So that's why I think it's important to vote. Because if we don't vote, then we're not exercising our God-given right to say yes or no. Because if you don't vote, you voted already. You voted for nothing. And if, if you vote for nothing by not voting, then you're voting for no government at all. But it's better to have some government than no government. And we have a government that gives us the right to stand up and say, we don't like that. We don't like that book in our school. We don't like people to talk that way. We don't like it. It's our God-given right. So it's better to vote for a government that gives us the God-given right to express our freedom if something gets out of line with the sovereign creator of the universe and his Google map, the Bible. Don't get mad at me. I'm just trying to say what it says. And so here we are. Is everybody ready? Verse 31 and 30 of Acts chapter uh, 21. And, and Paul, imagine this. Paul gets to Jerusalem in his caravan. And he's bringing that big offering with about maybe 18 of his disciples. He's not alone with all this money. And they're probably coming on donkeys. And every donkey has a piece of that offering in case they get waylaid by robbers in the mountains. Paul's not stupid. And they're coming too with this big offering. And he's coming with trepidation and fear because of the people that hate him there. Who could care less about the offering and hate him more than the offering. And he's worried. And remember in Romans 15, what did he say? Please what? You get an A. Please do what? How many of you know God answers prayer? And then how many of you know that sometimes he doesn't? And this is one time he doesn't. Is God God? If you pray and he doesn't do what you ask him to do, is he still God? Pay attention. If you ask God to heal you of cancer and he doesn't, is he still God? What's more important, your cancer or God? Because God's got your life in his hands. And even though you have cancer, God is with you in the cancer. And if you have Christ in your heart, you have eternal life that exceeds cancer. God is God. Pastor, I don't, I don't want to go to church anymore because I got this big knot on my neck. It's like another ear growing. And I ask God to take that vestigial organ off the side of my neck and it's growing bigger and bigger and it's pulling my head, face tight. Pulling my face back. Hey, God could take it off or God could leave it there. God gives and God takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is sovereign. He does what he wants to do. When he wants to do it, to whom he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, where he wants to do it. Praise God. All glory be to God, our Heavenly Father. Oh, but sometimes God does what he asks. Well, we ask him. Isn't that awesome when God does the healing straight out? God does the miracle straight out. Isn't that awesome? You know, sometimes there are beautiful moments. Uh, but we need to know that we need to let God be God. All right, look at this right here. Uh, verse 30, 30, are you in verse 30? And all the city was moved. That means they were angry. And the people ran together, and they took Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple. The word is dragged. 
They grabbed him by the beard and hair, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the doors were shut. What do you think they were going to do with him? Going to kill him. And as they went about to kill him, the news came to the chief captain of the imperial authority. What captain means centurion, which means he was a centurion colonel over 100 Roman soldiers. 100. And all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And immediately this Roman centurion took soldiers and other centurions. So that means there must have been like at least 400. Because the centurion is in charge of 100. And they ran down to them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they ceased. They stopped beating Paul. They are going to beat him to death. Then the chief captain came near and rescued Paul and commanded him to be bound with chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Basically, they rescued Paul. All right? Does everybody understand uh, what's going on here in the background of Romans 13? All right, let's go back to Romans 13. Uh, is it becoming a little bit clearer? No, no, seriously, is it? Okay. First, uh, chapter uh, 13. Did you know that pastor was dyslexic? You know, sometimes I see, like, two people. Like, sometimes when Rita's mad, my wife is mad, and I see two of them mad. And I go, whoa, what's happening here, man? Hijola. <laughs> All right. Let every, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. But, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will you then not be afraid of the government? If you do what is good, then you shall have praise of the same. And watch this. For the government is the minister of God to you for good. Everybody, did you hear that? I thought I was the minister. I thought you were the ministers. But here it says that the government is God's minister. Is that incredible? It's God's minister. And um, for the good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid. For the police bear does not carry a gun for nothing. For the policeman is a minister of God. The government is a minister of God. If we have a president, we say the president is a minister of God, but it's not necessarily this president or that president as much as the institution of the presidency. That's the minister of God. We vote for the institution that God puts on our heart. A lot of people vote for the man because they hate this one. 
or they hate that one. That's not what God is telling us to do. Not just to vote by our emotion, because he stumbles and falls to get on the plane or, you know, so, you know all that stuff. But the Lord is asking us basically to vote for the institution because that's our freedom that God has given to us. Is everybody listening to me? It's our freedom. And it's for the good. Imagine if there was no police. Can anybody imagine something like that? Because there are instances where there is no governing power. Um, imagine if there was no government. So he says, do what is good and you will have praise of the government. For he is the minister of God. To you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God. Look how many times it says he's a minister of God. Up to now, we thought only angels were ministering spirits or only pastors and people of God were ministers. But look at here. The government is appointed by God. And then he says this, the avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Do you remember in chapter 12 where it says, don't repay evil for evil? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Well, here right here too, God instituted the government to execute his vengeance against evil. We live in evil times. Let's open our eyes. I don't want to watch the news. I don't want to read the newspaper. I don't want to, it's all bad. It may be all bad, but God is all good. And even though it's all bad, the bad is not in control. God is in control no matter what. It does not get out of hand because God's in control. Therefore, verse 5 says, you must be subject. The word is hupotasiste. And, and notice this. He's not, is he saying please? Is Paul saying, could you please be in subjection? to the? No, he's saying you must be. That's called an imperative. Everybody say imperative. That's a command. He's not asking anybody. He's not requesting it. He's not suggesting it. He's not recommending it. He's saying we must be law-abiding citizens as Christians because of our testimony. But let's just say that the government is trying to take God's place and asking us to worship whatever it thinks is right and promoting evil. Let's say the government starts to promote evil. Evil principles, even evil ideology. Does that mean that we have to sit down and be subject to that? No. We have a right to stand up and talk, and we have a right to stand up and change it if it has to be changed, because they're not the ultimate authority. Who is the ultimate sovereign authority of the world? God is. At that time, if we have to change it, we do it very carefully. And we have to pray about it. There was a wonderful Christian man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A theologian and a Christian. A dedicated man and pastor. An academic. A brilliant philosopher in Germany during the time of Adolf Hitler. Who was probably one of the most evil human beings to walk the face of this earth. Who killed millions of Jews. 
in the furnaces and in the fires in the gas chambers of Auschwitz, of Treblinka. Who made experiments with Jewish skin and made lamps out of their skin. And his physicists, scientists made hair out of, made rugs out of their hair and took scientific notations and plucked their eyes out while their eyes were beating to study the retina of their eyes to perfect telescopes and microscopes. Made soap out of human grease. Is that good or evil? But sometimes the society and culture gets so evil that we don't know the difference between what's good is good or bad. They call bad good and they call good bad. But the Bible calls good good and bad bad and we will stand up against evil anytime in Jesus' name. We have freedom of speech. Right? Don't, don't say that to your mom and dad. Well, I have freedom of speech. Man, in the old days, you get slapped for that. How many of your oldsters remember getting slapped for being a balcon, having a big mouth? Oh, yeah. I remember one time I was 15, standing behind my dad, talking back at him while he was shaving. He had a straight razor. And I said something, I go, you're not my boss. Whap. Oh, okay, dad. I'm out of here. I hate you. I thank God I had a dad like that. I mean, I mean, parents don't slap your kids, okay? I'm not advocating that, okay? They, they have 911 now and all that, you know. Just, just social services will take parents away. Yeah, we got through. We got through. Uh, and then he says, um, so... Isn't that strange that God would call a government his, his pastor almost, his minister, to protect the good? And I remember when I was a, a, a rabble rouser around here in Arbor City, and, and I would be driving, I was always looking over my shoulder in the mirror. See, I could tell, I could tell if it was a cop like three blocks away. How many of you could? We just tell, hey, check it out. Put, hey, put that down, dude. Put that down in the back, man. Here they come. Who? La Shota. <laughs> Wherefore, you must, in verse 5, you must need to be subject. So subject, the word is obedient, right? So how many of us are going to be obedient to the government that God put in place as his minister? Because we're in obedient to the government, then we're actually being obedient to God, to the one that God put there. Is everybody listening? Therefore, we're being obedient for the sake of our conscience, which is blessed by God. We have a good conscience when we obey God. And if God puts the government there and we obey the rules of the city, the rules of driving, uh, the rules of citizenry, the Constitution of the United States of America, if we obey, then we have God's blessing. Verse 6. And it's for this reason that we pay taxes. For they are God's ministers. 
Look at how many times it says God's minister. Attending continually upon this very thing. Give, therefore, to everyone what belongs to them. Taxes, to whom taxes is due. Honor and respect and fear, to whom honor is due. And so there, I hope I made verses 1 through 7 a little bit clearer as far as what the Apostle Paul is telling us to do as Christians and part of our Christian lifestyle. That chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15 in Romans is all about. Chapters 1 through 11 of Romans is what God has done for you and me through Jesus Christ our Lord since we've been justified by faith through grace by what God did in Jesus and how he forgave our sins. Chapters 12 through 13 is since God has done all that. Chapters 12 through 15 is this is what we need to do in response to what God has done. So there's a Christian response in terms of Christian living that's called obedience. That out of love for what God has done, we obey the government. We love each other. And we're going to read about that in the following verses, and then we're done. It says in verse 8, Owe no one anything but to love one another. The word love right there is agape. Everybody say agape. That's the deepest love there is, the love of God that is self-sacrificial that you read about in 1 Corinthians 13. How many weddings have we uh, performed where we hear the couple say, I want, I want, Pastor, I want you to read 1 Corinthians 13 about the love of God, about what love means between a man and a woman, between people that we care for each other. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law of God. And that's what the law of God is all about. Why do we obey the Ten Commandments? Because we have to? Because we're forced to? Because there's a big hairy hand that came down from heaven and grabbed you by the back of your neck and said, you better obey. No. I obey God because I love him and because of everything that God has done for me. Let me ask some of the ladies in here that are married. Like, like for example, your husband brings a check home every 1st and 15th. Your husband comes home. You come home from work and the food is done. Right? You've got dinner there. Cabbage and rutabagas and some broccoli. But you've got dinner there. And your husband is good to you. Right? Doesn't it make it easier for you to love that person? Right? Now what if they say, go get me a cup of tea. What would you do then? Huh? Nowadays, what, what, what is the sisters going to say? Get it yourself. Who do you think I am? Am I your slave? No, because, but if you love one another and, and they're tired and say, uh, and they say this, hey, honey, secret word, could you get me a cup of tea? How do you want it? Well, did you say please? That's going too far. And for this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie against other people. 
You shall not want what other people have. And if there's any other commandment, all the commandments really come down to this, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. And there's the word agape again. And then I, I just praise God because I love Pastor T. Sometimes I wonder, Pastor T. But you know why I love you? Because the way you make ribs and tri-tip. I love you. Outside of that, I just kind of like you. And love works no evil. There in verse 10, there's that word again, agape. Everybody say agape. It's not a regular word, human word. Uh, it's the word agape, which is a deeper form of love. There's different words in the Bible for love. One is agape, right? Another one is philostorge, which means affection. Another one, like you have, you really, you love your dog, that's philostorge. And other people love, other people like they love their dog. And then there's uh, phileo, which means a friend, that's friendship, love. And then there's eros, that means, you know, sweetheart, roses, it's Valentine's kind of love. So there's all four kinds of loves. But agape is God's love. It's a love that God had that sent Jesus to the cross, who took your sins upon himself, even though those sins were mine. And the judgment of God was poured out on Jesus, who never sinned. And he paid the price for your sins and mine, so that you and I could be copacetic with God. That's called agape. That he would give up his best for you and for me. Would you give up your best for someone else? That's called love. That's called agape. Okay? Can everybody say bomb? Did you say bomb? And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake up out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. How many of you know Jesus is coming again soon? You look around at the world, Jesus is coming around soon. Who wants Jesus to come soon and set this whole thing in order? I'm tired of this thing. In some ways, I want him to come now, take care of the war in Ukraine and take care of the streets of L.A. and take care of all the conflict in our country. In other ways, you know, I don't want him to come too soon because I'm still in love with Rita. And I love my grandkids. And I want to see them grow up and serve God. Someone say, hey, take it easy, Jesus. You don't, don't come right away. And a couple that uh, came up to me and said, Pastor, would you marry us? And I was doing the, 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 uh, the what do you call that, the counseling? Yeah, I was doing the counseling. And when my last couple I got married is sitting right over there that I married, um, Albert and Davina. And um, God bless them. Right? Look, at, look how pretty they look. And Davina, sorry your daddy just passed away, but it's so good to have a husband next to you to, help, to give you strength and, and to love and take care of you. But I'll end it with this. So we were talking and doing marriage counseling, and, and then I said, man, you guys, God bless you, and, and you guys are going to have a honeymoon. And they go, yeah, yeah, we're thinking about it. I go, well, just pray that Jesus doesn't come during your honeymoon because that will really mess it up. <laughs> just kidding. It's a lot better to be with God than it is to be here no matter what. 
Because God's in charge. Everybody stand, please. Let's give the Lord, the King of the universe, the supreme ruler, a hand of applause. Blessed be Jesus. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward now for communion. I'm just going to hold on to you just a little bit more. We want to uh, recommit our lives to Jesus today uh, by sharing communion and showing our commitment to our Christian life. The ushers will be um, standing up here in front, and when communion is ready, um, they'll be dismissing you from the back rows to the front. And then when everybody takes uh, the bread and the wine, uh, we'll take communion together in Jesus' name. Uh, please don't take half the loaf when you come forward. As the Apostle Paul says, you have homes to eat and homes to drink. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we come before you at this very holy moment where um, we are doing what you have told us to do in the scripture. At the Last Supper where you were with the disciples and we were all together, you were all together, and even Judas was there. And you didn't tell Judas, Judas to get out because he was a traitor or a sinner, but you allowed him to take communion with you. It shows how much you love us, even though we fail. Um, let's all pray this prayer together. Holy Father, I confess my sins that instead of telling the truth, I lie. Instead of being honest, I cheat. Instead of being good, I'm bad. And I'm asking you to forgive me for all my sins. And I thank you for Jesus, whose precious blood cleans my sins away. Thank you for forgiving my sins today. And Holy Spirit, I open my heart to you to help me be a better person today and the rest of the week. Teach me to love the government you've put in place to protect what is good and hate what is evil. Teach me to love my family and my friends and even those that don't like me, I pray in your name. Amen.